Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Gridiron Blitz, right here on TuneIn, Apple Podcasts, and Block Talk Radio. Your host, Oscar Lopez, episode 227. And today, we're going to be talking WFA 2018 playoffs, D3, D2, and looking forward to Tier 1 um, championship finals here that they are coming up for um, Atlanta versus D.C., Boston versus Pittsburgh, Arlington, Kansas City, uh, Portland, Los Angeles coming up this uh, June 30th. Um, so we got a, a week or so away from that. And then the tier one matchups conclude. Uh, we want to give a shout out to all the ballers out there internationally. We got the German league in action. We have the Swedish uh, league in action. We have the Finnish league in action up in Europe. Um, we still have, I think, uh, the Italian league. But congratulations to the molasses um, of France. For winning their championship, check it out on our Instagram. Um, the uh, team molasses uh, featured on our Instagram, so you can go to Instagram.com forward slash Gridiron Beauties. Check out the moment in women's American football. Alongside today, we are going to have the uh, president of the LFP, the Liga de Football del Pacifico, which is going to be uh, Luis Gomez coming up here in the No Joke Football Huddle. And then later in the hour, uh, about 40 after or so, we are going to have the always knowledgeable Neil Rosenthal coming in here to talk WFA 2018 playoffs. Uh, but right now uh, we are having in the house uh, the return of the WFA all-star, Ali Custis. Uh, we will not have uh, Troy Wilson or uh, Louise Bean or uh, Tracy Brick today, but we will have the uh, all-star here for about an hour, and we're going to be talking pretty much everything that's going on in the women's game. Um, Holly, how's it going today? Good. How are you doing? I'm great. How you how you been doing? Pretty good. Um, I mean, it's just basically at this point about prepping for the Vegas uh, tournament. Um, so I spent a lot of time uh, at the gym and the sauna trying the best I can to recreate even close what the heat's going to be in Vegas, which is pretty tough considering I'm in the Northwest, but I'm, I'm doing what I can. It's not going to be that tough, Holly. Come on, you know that. It's air conditioning rooms and stuff like that. Oh, the field. You're talking about the field. Yeah, the field. I mean, no. When you go over to the casino or the hotel or anything like that, you're fine. But when you, I've played in Vegas before, and it's a, it's a tall order. Um, so I'm just trying to do whatever I can to prep for it. Uh, we were told that you're going to play under shade after 6 p.m. by McCarran. So I don't know if that's true or not. Um, I don't know exactly what the setup will be. Um, I do know that we uh, have uh, games at 6 and at 8. Um, and then also, I believe, uh, they might be shorter uh, quarters, which will help a little bit. Um, but even, you know, if you have shade, even if it's shorter quarters, it's still going to be tough. It just kind of is what it is. And anybody that's ever done anything in Vegas knows that it's tough. So, all you can do is do the best you can to prep for it. All right. So, Holly, this is it. Huge weekend. 
kind of like March Madness in D3 for the, for June 16th. There was, there was like a lot of teams in D3, a lot of teams. Um, we talked to the Arkansas Wildcats last week, and they were getting ready for the Academia Zydeco, and uh, apparently they didn't have a problem. It was 50 to zero. <laughs> uh, Coach Dukes out there, I think, just didn't have a problem. <laughs> He's just waiting to move on to the next round, which they will take on Austin, who uh, apparently Austin in a nail-biter uh, took care of Houston, 32-22. So that was really good. And Austin's in the playoffs, hasn't been in the playoffs, I think, since 2014 from what Burmy posted. So I'm, I'm pretty pretty sure his knowledge is better than mine. And so um, the other the other matchup is in Colorado. So we have a Colorado um, semifinal out west. We have the Freeze, who took care of La Muerte, 20-0. And it was on our Facebook page as well. You can catch the game there. And then uh, Utah um, was down, uh, I'm going to say Rocky Mountain, took care of Utah, 18-0. So we have a Colorado clash in, uh, coming up this uh, June 30th, the semifinals. And that should be really interesting. Um, I mean, I think Colorado, the Colorado Freeze, are a good story this year. Um, and it's kind of nice to see uh, that all of a sudden, you know, we have some solid teams coming out of that state. Um, and uh, I'm excited to see what happens between those two teams. Um, but I think uh, the, I think one of my favorite stories of the year is Colorado. Yeah, and you know what? It's 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 kind of like a hotbed there now because of the Blaze being a, a kind of a, a focus point for all of us too. It's sort of mm-hmm. nice that you have all these all these teams kind of in the same proximity. So that's nice as well for growth and for tr- less travel costs and all that other stuff. Um, Arkansas, do you consider the favorite then at this point? Because it's going to be it's going to be Arkansas, Austin, and then we're looking at Colorado, Rocky Mountain. I am taking. Uh, at this point, very early, but I am going with the the champs, and then I'm taking Colorado on your point. I, I think that would be uh, a safe bet. I think Arkansas has a lot of confidence. I mean, obviously, when you when you win like they did last year, it, it, it seems to have carried over into this year. And I think even though they have a smaller squad as far as the the number of players, they play really well together, and it seems to be that they're rolling. I think Colorado is a great story, um, but I think Arkansas has a lot more experience. So we'll see what happens, but I I agree that Arkansas has to be the favorite out of that group. All right, so, Holly, Toledo has been here. They have not advanced. And last year, Toledo was supposed to be the favorite. Toledo was back, and apparently they were a little angry, 28-8. to 8. They beat down the sizzle, which is was surprising to me because the sizzle had been playing pretty good ball so far up to this point. But all of a sudden, Toledo, you know, maybe they uh, feel disrespected a little bit here. And so uh, they will take on Richmond, which Richmond uh, took care of the vanguards, 34-0. to 0. Richmond, a little bit also a chip on their shoulder as well because they play in that East Coast competitive range as well. So uh, this is going to be an interesting matchup, Toledo-Richmond. I think so. I think it should be, like you said, kind of a, an edgy matchup, and it should be fun to watch. Both teams have a lot to prove. Um, even though you know Toledo uh, is at home, I wouldn't discount Richmond. I think 
I have a good feeling about this matchup for them, but it should be fun to watch. All right. The story of the year, I think, in D3, besides, you know, like last year, I think it has to be Mississippi. Do you agree? The, the royalty played good ball all year. Here they are. They take care of Music City, uh, 42 uh, to, um, I believe, 14, if I'm correct. And so they have been the story of the year. You can get the, a nice little profile on our Facebook page of the Mississippi royalty. Uh, and then you have the runner-up, 2017 runner-up cha- uh, cha- uh, runner-up champs, um, the Orlando uh, Anarchy, who was playing Derby City. I was I was anticipating Derby City to come in with a little bit more uh, to them, but it didn't happen. Um, I think it was 34 to 14 was the final. Um, so Orlando seems on the same mindset as Arkansas. They just they they want to go back to the national title. Definitely, and it's kind of interesting because you kind of have a foil on both sides of the aisle. You have Arkansas, the team that is the favorite, and the Colorado upstart team. And then the other side, you have Orlando, who's uh, been really good in the last couple of years, and you have an upstart Mississippi team. Um, I think I think it's going to be really interesting to see uh, in both cases if experience wins out or if – uh, momentum where, uh, uh, wins out. Um, but, you know, D3 section to uh, this league has a lot of teams, and I, I'm really excited to see that those teams are developing. And each year, you know, the teams like Orlando and Arkansas are not only satisfied with just being where they're at, they're growing and they're getting better. And so I think it's really exciting to see for the sport. Orlando on the same mindset as the Wildcats. I really think that they, you know, they want to go back to that. They get here, as Coach Duke says, this is 0-0. Zero, zero. It's a reset. It's anybody's ballgame right. right now. I, I think Tier 3 this year makes it so much interesting than last year, even more so this year because of the fact that there's, it's more wide open. And now we're, like, narrowing it down on the 30th between the top, top eight teams in the country in terms of the D3, which is really exciting. you got the champs, the, the runner-up, you know, Orlando, and then you get – two of the other teams that could potentially compete there, which is Colorado, Richmond, and Mississippi. So really exciting times in the in D3 right now in the WFA. Definitely. And I think that bodes well for the sport as a whole. If those teams that are newer in, in, in smaller markets or they just have smaller squads, it, if they can not only come back year after year, if they can develop – year after year, that that means we're doing something right as a sport. Um, we're in trouble if those teams, you know, come out of nowhere and just disappear. It kind of defeats the whole point of it. So I'm excited to see there's development there. Now, we talked to Arkansas and we talked to Coach Dukes, and he was saying um, most, most D3 teams would like to move up to D2, but they cannot sustain the numbers. So his mindset is until he can financially do that, because obviously it's a travel issue at that point because they're in D3 now. They're more centrally located on the East coast. For example, they go to D2. Now they got to travel to Colorado. So really it's an expense mode. So it's just a matter yeah. of, you know, assessing your real numbers. And I think this is smart play, especially if, since they're, you know, a newer, so to speak team um, and they're a smaller market. I, it's a smart way to play it. You know, you, there's no need to rush it necessarily as long as you're pressing. So I, I totally get that. 
Yeah, and, and for fi- financial pur- uh, purposes, why would you take on that burden and then obviously have to forfeit because apparently you can't make the, you know, the road trips and all that right. stuff. So that makes more sense. Um, all right, so that's D3, and it's pretty exciting. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. So we have Arkansas versus Austin, Colorado versus Rocky Mountain, and then we are going to have Toledo uh, versus Richmond, Orlando taking on Mississippi. So really, really exciting, and that's going to be June 30th. So a lot of fundraising between now and June 30th for a lot of these teams as well to get to their destinations. Um, let's go to D2, um, Holly here. Anticipation here for D2 uh, regarding the incident in Portland, Everett seems to have fallen off. They were they were doing pretty well up to this point, and then they get to face the uh, Nenji Martin brand new San Diego Rebellion, and so, um, uh, they get they get romped, 35 to zero. Uh, you can watch it on Facebook Live, uh, on our Facebook Live via the San Diego Rebellion. So uh, San Diego routing uh, Ever, uh, Everett Rain 35 to zero to earn their first playoff win. That says a lot about uh, KG Martin and, and the, uh, the effort that she's put in for this year. Well, yeah, I mean, you got a couple of things going on. You have uh, an Everett team that had a solid season, um, but I don't think quite had the numbers or uh, uh, the horses to, to um, take out Ninji's team especially considering the fact that Everett lost their, their starting quarterback halfway through the season. That didn't help. And I think the interesting thing there is if Everett hadn't had their meltdown and if they were able to come back and beat Portland, they would have hosted San Diego. And I don't know if that would have made a huge difference, but it might have been a little bit easier. Um, and then on San Diego's side, anything that Ninji is a part of is, is going to have success. She's very intelligent and hardworking, and even if it doesn't work right away, she's going to figure out a way to get it done. Um, I do think, however, they're going in to play mile high, and I think mile high has a lot of offensive power. So it's going to be interesting to see if Minty, who's now playing quarterback, if she can lead her offense to score enough points to keep up with mile high. That's going to be the big question. I agree with that. Um, I really think San Diego's built for this run. Uh, North County Stars, if you recall, the IWFL last year, similar squad, just different name, and they were very competitive in the IWFL on the West. So I'm assuming they understand this is this is their road. This is their opportunity to Atlanta. So they're going to be taking uh, that road to Mile High. Mile High, I think, at this point has disappointed the last couple weeks. So it's really about themselves looking themselves in the face and see how ready are they going to be on the 30th against San Diego, which San Diego looks ready. Yeah, I agree. I think that I think San Diego has a little bit more momentum at this point. I do think Mile High, again, I think offensively uh, that's going to be the key. If, if they can maintain possession of the ball and put up the points that they have earlier in the season – then it should be a really interesting game. But you're, you're right. They can't shoot themselves in the foot. Yeah, and this is a pretty much a, you're in, uh, you know, you're in. If you win, you're in. Otherwise, you're going home early. And hosting hosting the game there, that would not be great for them. Um, the other surprise was Tier 2 quarterfinal was Dixie Blues defeating the Miami Fury, which has literally fallen off the rails the last uh, three or four weeks. Miami just seems to not 
couldn't have rebound basically, even though they got an opportunity. And this is where we talk about where everybody sits at, on the group boards by saying, you know, certain teams based on Massey got into the playoffs but really didn't deserve it, that kind of deal. And a lot of people question about let's just go to straight, you know, straight record and then, you know, when once you hit the playoffs, uh, then go ahead and, and do that, you know. So I don't know. I think I think that's a little bit dicey because right now the way that it's set up, each you know uh, tier plays each other, and I think having a straight record is a bit tricky because you might have a D three team that plays all D one and D two teams, and they might be you know three and five or two and six, so they might still be stronger than a team that's six and two that plays a lesser schedule. You can change that if you have only like teams playing each other. So if you just had all D3 squads playing each other, then I think it makes more sense to go to just record. But until then, I guess this is what we have. And I think at the end of the day, it kind of works itself out anyway. Um, I mean, I think Miami kind of, I don't know if he's had some injuries, but he's he's kind of fallen off the the map here a little bit. Um, But... uh, yeah, I, I think that's definitely definitely been an issue. Okay, um, so let's go into the No Joke Football Huddle. Um, and we're going to be talking to the president of the uh, Liga del Football del Pacifico, Luis Gomez, in the house here with the Gridiron Blitz. Uh, Luis, ¿cómo estás? Uh, gracias por hacer el tiempo hoy. Muy bien, gracias a Dios. Eh, gracias a ustedes por, por la llamada y por darnos el espacio para estar con ustedes. Son Luis, uh, este, uh, estás conmigo y estás con este Holly Costes, que es una jugadora de este de juego de estrellas también de la Liga de Fútbol Americana de Femenin, la la WFA en los Estados Unidos. Hi Holly. Hello. So, so, so Luis, este Luis, este, ¿qué temporada en la Liga de Pacífico? Eh? Mucho éxito hasta el fin, hasta el campeonato también. Sí, la verdad este, fue un año difícil, como siempre, primer año construir. Este, un proyecto que ya traíamos en mente, que veníamos trabajando varios equipos, varios, sumamos varios proyectos. Eh, muchos aprendizajes, pero la verdad al final del de día el resultado con la final de la LFP de Perry Monster de Culiacán y por otro sitio de Ciudad Obregón, la verdad es que súper encantados, contentos, pero nunca satisfechos y que vienen grandes cosas todavía para los 19, ¿no? Luis, este, empezaron, empezando la temporada, todos este, uh, you know, pusieron a Ivo Queens arriba de todo, pero la sorpresa fue los potros al, al fin también, este, a cazadoras y finalmente los Prairie Monsters constantemente desde el principio desde la primera semana hasta el, el campeonato uh, dejaron uh, ninguna duda que era, eran este, listas para ser campeonas Sí, la verdad es que fue una grata sorpresa, te comento este, Potro Sitson es de la Universidad de, 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 de Sonora donde yo jugué fútbol americano en ese tiempo, entonces fue muy grato para mí ver ver el resultado y el desempeño de, de las chavas, de las jugadoras este, pero la verdad es que solamente ellos dieron una sorpresa, aunque hay muchas oportunidades o, o cosas que se tienen que trabajar en, en todas las franquicias, en todos los equipos. Este, a mí me impresionó bastante Potrancas, con un juego aéreo 
este, muy pulido, muy, muy bien desarrollado, traen, traen oportunidades ahí en la defensa, pero todos haciendo grandes cosas con, con, con sistemas este, ofensivos y defensivos diferentes. Pero sí, pues aquí el, el, el que se llevó completamente la temporada, haciendo un invicto, ejecutando excesivamente o increíblemente bien, esto es Mónica. So, Holly, I'm mentioning to him that uh, the league's, uh, his league was very successful. It's uh, basically legend-style league out in uh, Mexico, southern Mexico. They've done a great job of promotions on Facebook and social media. And um, mm -hmm. their, favorite team, their favorite team was supposed to be the Evil Queens, which was a previous tenured team from a, uh, a different league. And apparently they fell short. But uh, it, uh, he was kind of happy in the sense that, like I was telling him but right now, that uh, Pretty Monsters – Since week one, all the way to the finals, they pretty much were very consistent in their play. And Potros uh, was the other team that kind of surprised everybody, uh, given the fact that it's their first year. So uh, he was really happy about that. That's awesome. Um, I think, you know, I don't know a whole lot about the history about the league, but I, I'm impressed about their, their social media presence. They do a really good job of not only promoting the teams and the players, but just having different graphics and having it interactive. So um, that's awesome. So, Luis, la, el contrato con TVP, eso es un, un grande, una grande cosa, porque no todas las ligas en México tienen algo de, de este, ¿cómo te digo?, de agregamiento con, con televisión. Uh, y ellos, uh -huh. ellos hicieron uh, una, buena, una buena cosa para ustedes. También para ustedes se les ayudó para atraer atención a la liga, ¿no? Sí, definitivamente eh, nosotros nos acercamos, fuimos los primeros que nos acercamos a PDP con Íñigo, con Grande, con, con todos los directores de la compañía, les presentamos el proyecto y la verdad lo tomaron como propio. Este, la verdad es que hay algo que, que agradecer. No televisamos todas las toda la temporada, pero la verdad es que fueron 19 eh, transmisiones que se hicieron de todos los juegos y no por varias plataformas, ¿no? Tú la puedes ya seguir en YouTube, los juegos completos, este, puedes ya seguirlos en el canal de PDP, este, tuvimos eh, 5.000 managers de PDP trabajando junto con la liga, entonces sí creo yo, y si a lo mejor me equivoco, pero creo que somos la primera liga a nivel México que logra este nivel de difusión con plataformas tan importantes como Internet, como YouTube, como Facebook, porque también tenemos algunas participaciones en Facebook y la difusión local que tenemos en televisión abierta, ¿no? La verdad es que eh, hay un acuerdo ahí para, para mantenernos tres años con, con TVP, la verdad, lo cual estamos súper contentos, estamos haciendo un trabajo extraordinario en la producción, estamos aprendiendo juntos, pero ellos son especialistas en lo que hacen, ya han producido varios eventos eh, de, de otras índoles o de otros niveles, eh, pero sí, la verdad es que súper encantados y vamos a seguir transmitiendo a través de TVP durante tres años. Ya al cuarto año veremos qué es lo que So, Holly, I'm mentioning to him that it's a huge uh, obstacle but in, uh, here in the States even to get on television, you know, regional TV or anything like that. Mm -hmm. And uh, Luis here basically brought this league concept to uh, TVP, which is basically a broadcaster in Mexico. And they embraced right. it, and I, they gave him a three-year contract. And so he's That's more than awesome. super excited. So he's got three years locked in, um, and they were basically covering the games, 29 games, I believe, total that was being covered this year. And so he's 
Uh, super excited for the growth of the league, maybe sponsorships, and then obviously trying to get into a pay mode of some sort going forward. But um, he's basically built it from scratch, and they committed to him, and he was even surprised that they, they actually took on the project. So this is the first league in Mexico that has gotten uh, full coverage in terms of a contract with a regional TV provider and, of course, uh, Internet provider that goes with that and doing Facebook Live. So um, he's really very proud of everything that's happened for the season. That is, that's, that's amazing. I mean, it takes a lot of work to build stuff, you know, from scratch, and the fact that he was able to even get this far so far is great. And, uh, you know, tell him to keep doing what he's doing because it's working. And um, it's exciting to see. I just, I'm just, like, looking at some of the stuff on, on Facebook, and it's, it's, it's well done. So that's really good for the sport. So Luis dice que mucho éxito con la, el concepto de TVP y el, el YouTube también. Eh, dice que ella es muy, eso es muy raro en, en, en la en el deporte femenil en cualquier en cualquier país porque aquí en los Estados Unidos no no se ha hecho a ese a ese pues el movimiento so ustedes Luis están ustedes casi en en el nivel de la LFL en los Estados Unidos en el excepto de que la LFL no ha podido adquirir un contrato uh, nacional o regional eh, en televisión aquí en los Estados Unidos so para uh, para ustedes hacer eso es un, es un bueno uh, buena cosa para ustedes pero al mismo tiempo es bueno también para el deporte sí definitivamente eh, mira no estamos a nivel eh, nuestros jugadores lo saben hemos tenido reuniones con todos los equipos con todas las jugadoras donde tenemos la visión y, y la intención de trabajar para llegar al nivel de, de deportivo y de competencia que tiene la LPR no en ese sentido sí, sí estamos muy comprometidos eh, eh, a trabajar muy duro hay mucho potencial, las jugadoras mexicanas tienen mucho potencial, pero tienen la desventaja de la estatura, la fuerza del peso, entonces se compensan muy bien con habilidades, rapidez y, y, y alguna, alguna reacción. Este, entonces, no estamos al nivel todavía. Sí hay jugadoras que tienen el potencial y que están trabajando al máximo para llegar y probarse en la LCL o en, toda, o en las ligas que nos permitan estar. Nosotros estamos abiertos totalmente a... A, a trabajar con quien quiera trabajar, ¿no? Por, por el desarrollo del fútbol. Este, en el tema de la televisión, este, pues sí, obviamente, pues es un gran paso para nosotros, es un gran logro. Yo espero que muy pronto la televisión o los productores de, de televisión en Estados Unidos pues, se den cuenta del potencial que, que hay aquí con este chava, sobre todo por, por lo extraordinario o, o la extraordinaria extremidad este, que tienen las jugadoras, que estoy hablando de la mujer per se, ¿no? Este, pero sí, no, no estamos a nivel, pero sí, en el deportivo estamos usando, pero la televisión sí es un gran logro y espero que algún día este, los productos lo queden a ver. Luis, uh, ¿cómo empezó todo esto? ¿Fue idea tuya? ¿Fue idea de convivo con ciertas ciertas otras personas? o que, ¿Cómo, cómo este, se vino a hacer la LFP? Mira, eh, en un inicio yo era coach de LFP, donde quedamos campeones en 2006, eh, yo platicando con Salvador Palacio, que era su coach, yo toda mi vida me he dedicado a la parte comercial o, o de ventas, y yo la verdad le dije, Chava, Chava, Salvador, hay un potencial enorme y nos tenemos que arriesgar a producir y que esto se difunda. Entonces, el primer acercamiento que tuvimos con CDP, tuvimos una cotización, eh, que nosotros tuvimos que pagar con las producciones de los eventos para el 
Ahí empezó la relación comercial, entonces empezamos a interactuar con ellos. La verdad es que primero le apostamos nosotros, este, tienen que pagar. Eh, después de que esto fue creciendo, fueron, fueron dos años seguidos donde tuvimos que estar pagando. El 80% de nuestra edad fue la televisión. Este, empezamos a hacer campañas publicitarias, empezamos a tocar puertas, empezamos a, a desarrollar el marketing para otras marcas, desarrollamos una agencia publicitaria para poder ofrecer nuestro producto y así poder pagar la televisión. Y al paso de tres años ya TV se da cuenta del potencial que tiene la liga. Eh, nos sal, me salgo yo de, de Inquis, decidimos implementar la liga, se suma a mi nivel de que aquí trabajo extraordinario, este, hoy está Luis Gálvez eh, este, en la parte operativa y comercial. Entonces empezamos a sumar especialistas ya en el desarrollo de lo que, de lo que sería la liga tal cual. ¿no? Es, esos fueron los principios de, de la LPP. So, Luis, este, ¿van a estar estables por los equipos que tienes ahorita para crecer o van a ser a, a expansión para otras marquetas? ¿Cómo, ¿Cómo es el plan para el siguiente año? El siguiente año seguir creciendo hacia el norte, queremos acercarnos a Estados Unidos. Siguen firmes los seis equipos este, con los cuales iniciamos. Hay dos equipos que se suman para 2019, son diosas caídas de los mochis este, y vaqueras de, de Ciudad Obregón también. En las mismas plazas que ya estamos. Y estamos pensando entre 2019 y 2020 agregar la zona de Tijuana, Mexicana y Senada este, con una conferencia nueva pero ahorita los planes es seguir cimentando la zona en donde estamos quedando, seguir fortaleciendo, seguir mejorando lo que tenemos que mejorar, este, pero sí, sí pasamos de seis a ocho equipos en los años. Luis, este, ¿cómo, está, ¿cómo te sientes que uh, es, tienes este, ciertas atléticas ya en la LFL en, en, con impacto? Quintero uh, y, uh, y eh, principalmente, pero hay diferentes jugadoras que fueron a los tryouts. So, ¿Cómo te sientes tú como presidente de que uh, una, dos o tres para el siguiente año o siguiente o más años que vengan, uh, las jugadoras de tu equipo se, se ponen en, en un estado en los Estados Unidos de que se reconocen más uh, vía YouTube porque la LFL tiene suficiente este, uh, you know, uh, fanáticos? Sí, mira, la verdad es que como lo hemos platicado para nosotros, eh, es un reto este, poder apoyar a nuestras jugadoras en su desarrollo profesional, eh, en su desarrollo personal. Eh, es un reto que compartimos con ellas, estamos con ellas, eh, las estamos siempre tratando de preparar. Y la verdad, eh, la temporada pasada, el coach Michael Vera, la verdad, se acercó, a, se acercó vino, este, la persona que eh, se atrevió junto con nosotros a, a tener una visoría por acá, invitó a siete jugadoras. Este, esperamos que este año, eh, viendo el nivel que tiene, este, algunas jugadoras vuelvan a irse a probar este, a la LFL, pero sí, la verdad, orgullosos, pero con una gran responsabilidad, no tan solo con la liga, sino con nuestras jugadoras, porque nuestra visión y nuestro deseo es que ellas se desarrollen a un nivel o que desarrollen su potencial al máximo. La verdad es que esa es nuestra visión y nuestra misión dentro de la LFL. Y obviamente, pues vendrán grandes cosas. Eh, el tema del marketing, el tema de darnos a conocer, pero eso ya es, es un agregado que viene con el apoyo de la jugadora. Luis, ¿has tenido contacto con el gerente de la Liga de los Estados Unidos, el, el señor Mortaza, o no? La verdad es que con el señor Mortaza no he tenido oportunidad de, de platicar, no lo conozco, no tengo el gusto, 
Pero la verdad, este, no creo que sea el momento. Este, estamos en un momento de construcción. Este, yo creo que en un año más, dos años más, este, sería un buen momento para yo ir a tocar fuerza, este, ofrecerle la calidad y el potencial que tenemos en México. Eh, yo creo que hay mucho trabajo por hacer todavía en, en México este, para poderle ya ofrecer un, un producto o, o un, un, un punto de, de, de jugadoras, una manita de jugadoras este, más robusta, de mayor calidad. Tenemos la, el, el potencial, entonces yo creo que no es momento todavía, pero pues el señor Mortaza nos digna con, con una llamada y con el pues con mucho gusto de estar en el All right. So, um, Luis, todo eh, todo pasó como, uh, ¿cómo te digo? Para nosotros, uh, de fanáticos que miramos y que, que cubrimos el deporte, uh, la liga uh, de ustedes, muy profesional en las, en las redes sociales, uh, haciendo este, you know, a, las, a las jugadoras como de semana a semana, las MVPs, a uh, las novatas y todo. ¿Suena bueno para hacer eso? ¿Ese era el gol inicialmente o tienes... ¿Tienes diferentes uh, métodos para, uh, para poner la liga a frente en las, en las redes sociales? No, la verdad es que mira, hacemos este, siempre un benchmarking de, de, de lo que funciona y lo que no, y las herramientas que te van dando las redes sociales. Este, aprovechamos las herramientas que se van generando día con día. La verdad es que Miguel Díaz, nuestro director de comunicación y de redes, es el creativo en esta parte, es el que se encarga, se mete en hacerlo lo ha hecho bastante bien y ha aprovechado las oportunidades de las redes sociales en las cuales trabajamos, ¿no? Pero también nos hemos dedicado a estudiar eh, no tan solo las redes eh, de la LPL, también hemos visto NFL, hemos visto NBA, hemos visto eh, béisbol y ver y analizar realmente qué es lo que funciona para nosotros verdaderamente tener ese impacto y esa difusión a través de las redes con el mercado que verdaderamente nos interesa para hacer llegar o hacer conocer o dar a conocer a, a nuestros jugadores de la liga, ¿no? Pero la verdad es que eh, siempre estamos innovando, siempre estamos este, tratando de descubrir nuevas formas y lo que nos funciona, pues lo mantenemos, ¿no? Y eso que tú dices, este, de, de mostrar la novata, de, de hacer mucho ruido en redes sociales, nos funcionó muy bien. Fue una buena práctica de nivel 10, a cual les agradezco, les agradezco mucho pero siempre estamos en busca de hacer algo diferente. So Holly, I've been uh, I was just mentioning to him that and giving him some props because their uh, Facebook page and their social media sites look very NBA NFL like uh, because they have week to week MVPs that they're praising. They're spotlighting certain uh, you know player rookie players, and they're also kind of filling in the gaps in terms of live coverage and you know video and stuff like that. So he says that they took a page basically by scoping all the pro leagues in the U.S. and trying to take a page of what how they can do that better to, to better expose their players onto the social sites? I think it's, um, it's a really, really uh, great thing that they're doing. Um, and I, I think that so the leagues uh, that we have, the uh, women's leagues here, that um, should really take a page from that. I think, um, you know, it's happening a little bit, but not as much as we really should be doing. And I think by highlighting different players and having um, that on your social media, it makes it more personable and people are more likely to follow. So well done for that. All right. Uh, Luis, uh, gracias por hacer el tiempo. Yo sé que estás muy ocupado y todo. Este, estamos, estamos muy orgullosos de la LFP en, en, uh, en México. 
y el, tu éxito este, este año y eh, miramos todos los juegos uh, con anticipación cada semana, so eso, es, eso es una cosa muy muy buena para una fórmula para uh, tener más éxito. Gracias, muchísimas gracias y pues el compromiso y el agradecimiento con ustedes en mayor de los éxitos y esperen mucho para el LGP el All right, Luis, gracias por tu tiempo. Ahí estamos en contacto para la siguiente temporada y uh, cualquier notas o noticia de la liga, uh, si nos haces, uh, nos mandas por correo, uh, direct message o algo para estar este, haciendo este comparto para que la gente conozca de la EFP. Claro que sí, con gusto. Muchísimas gracias a todos. Este, un abrazo a todos. Muchísimas gracias. Ok, gracias. Uh, adiós. 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 So there you go, Holly. Uh, Luis Gomez, the creator and founder of Liga del Football del Pacifico, which is uh, the uh, LFP out in uh, the west coast of Mexico, southern about next to Baja California, all the way down to uh, Puerto Vallarta and that swing of the coast. And so very successful season for him. Uh, he bailed a relationship with TVP, which is basically a regional TV uh, broadcaster in that region. And they ended up taking him on board after paying. He said he had to pay for about two and a half years. He had to pay them, and now they're paying him. So that's pretty that's awesome, awesome to do. So that's pretty successful for him there. Um, so we are going to be basically watching them uh, next season. He says that they're going to stick with the same teams. They're hoping to branch out to Baja California uh, in that uh, in that area, but. They, they don't have plans to go there until about 2021 because they really want to just establish um, the teams in the local areas. So real, real good job by him and everybody else in uh, LFP, the Liga del Pacifico, um, the football del Pacifico out in Mexico. And then the recruiting starts with LFL. So LFL has been out there recruiting. The coach from the Austin Acoustics been out there trying to bring in a couple, you know, a couple players to their tryouts. So the LFL is basically uh, – you know, chasing them now for obviously the talent pool and try to get as, as many players. And he's more than uh, happy that the fact that the league in the States here in the States is actually looking for, you know, some of the talent, the Mexican talent, which is the girls out there that work really hard to try to get onto a roster here in the U S and play that type of style of play. So, all right. So uh, Holly, let's bring in the knowledgeable and always informative Neil Rosenthal in the Nojo football huddle. So you guys can go to Zazzle.com, shop for cool T-shirts, leggings, and gifts. Use daily codes. I believe it's 20% off today only. So if you go to the Zazzle.com site, you can get cool T-shirts for about under 20 bucks, leggings, and gifts as well. So you save big. And if you subscribe to Zazzle Black for about $10 for the year, you get free shipping. So let's uh, bring into the huddle here the always informative Neil Rosenthal of the DC Divas and uh, WFA. So, Neil, how's it going? Hey, how you doing, Oscar? That was a, a heck of an interview, and it kind of shows me that four years of high school Spanish long ago left me. But uh, that's uh, it's pretty cool to see the the global reach of the sport. Yeah, I'm for, you know, Luis there. He's a he's a very visionary. So he started something really good for about three years, and that's what we're talking about. And then he had to pay for TV coverage, and then eventually the, the TV regional said, oh, your product's really good. We want it on there. So he ends up getting paid now. So he's, it's a really good story on that end. And uh, so they're still building on it. So it's great to hear that success story of that. 
Um, so Neil, me and Holly uh, had been brainstorming um, tier three results and tier two results. Uh, and then we had to cut it off here for the interview. But um, were you surprised as how well San Diego uh, did against Everett at this point in tier two? Uh, not particularly. I mean, it was uh, uh, it was an impressive result for them. I, I wouldn't say I was overly surprised. I think, you know, San Diego as a first-year team, uh, sometimes it does take them a little way, a while to find your way, and uh, those teams can really start uh, rolling things downhill uh, as the inaugural season progresses. I think that that first year team sometimes it it, it kind of takes a while to you know to work out some of the hiccups when you think about um, you know how everybody's new and everybody's adjusting to to kind of a new situation but uh they're definitely uh, uh they're a team that I don't think anybody necessarily would want to play uh, uh given how they're how they're doing right now but they're going to have a, a a real tough task uh uh going up against Mile High because I I think Mile High is is one of those sneaky teams that's been building for this moment for uh, for quite a while, and, and they're going to be a tough out as well. Right. Uh, Neil, Philly, Columbus. Columbus wasn't even going to be here because of some issue with forfeiting prior to this, and, and they were not happy that that was going to be the case. And then eventually they get in, and it looks like they got a chip on their shoulder because they go into Philly, and they beat Philly 22-14. to 14. And Philly has played so tough this year that kind of a shame that they don't get further down the road, but Columbus literally earns it here. To me, that was the most surprising result, I would say, of the conference quarterfinal round. Um, uh, you're right, Columbus making it in was, was kind of a surprise. It really didn't have anything to do with the forfeit. It was just, you know, uh, in terms of there was a big conversation about the Flint game and whether or not it would be a forfeit or whether or not it turned out to be a 72 to nothing victory or something. At the end of the day, it was pretty negligible because Flint was not regarded as a very good team, you know, and winning 72 to nothing is kind of what would be expected. So really it, it, it didn't have any impact at all. Uh, Columbus at six and two would have been home for the playoffs had Detroit gone six and two. And I think most people kind of expected Detroit was going to beat Toledo in the regular season finale. And as, Often happens. Uh, Toledo pulled that upset, and uh, that allowed Columbus to get that last spot, much to the uh, disappointment and anger in many quarters from uh, from Detroit, uh, who were who was knocked out at five and three. So uh, Columbus was 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 kind of a surprising entry, and then and then to to turn around, travel, and to go on the road and beat Philadelphia was a, a heck of a statement. Philly has to be doing a little bit of soul searching because. You know, that, that's the third year uh, for that particular franchise, uh, the Philly Phantoms, the third straight year that they've lost a playoff game at home to end their season. Uh, of course, uh, their first year they lost the, the Eastern Conference Championship game of, of WFA 2 to uh, Tampa. And then uh, last year uh, were upset at home, I believe, by the New York Sharks uh, to end their season. And so uh, Philadelphia is a team that now has, has – been upset three straight uh, seasons to end their year at home. And, and Philly is, is such an interesting team because they play a, a really, really brutal schedule. And, in fact, they, they got the two seed to, uh, in, in, in that region despite having a losing record. 
because they played such such tough teams, and they played them really close early in the year. But it's it's you know you kind of saw them get blown out in the last week of the regular season, and it's possible that that schedule worked against them a bit because it seemed like they kind of ran out of gas. And uh, but give it to Columbus, they went in there and took it, and it was a tough game. And Columbus, you know, now uh, the the road tour continues for Columbus because of course they're meeting. Uh, uh, what, what might seem like a team of, of, of destiny in the New York Sharks, but that's going to be a really fun conference semifinal game too. Let's bring in Holly in the conversation. Holly, did, did you think of the Columbus-Philly game? Did, what did you think of that when that happened? It's just, But Philly, I mean, really played hard because of their schedule, but this Massey thing just really puts everybody in a pickle at, every year. <clears throat> well, yeah, uh, like we talked about before, I think, um, because everybody and every tier plays each other, it's really tough, and you kind of have to have something like the Massey rankings or some sort of rankings, because you might have a Philadelphia who goes out and they play, you know, really tough teams and have a losing record, and but they might be solid compared to a team that plays all, um, you know, smaller market teams and blows them out. Um, but I think Neil is right. I think there's kind of a balance to that where you want to play a tough team so you challenge yourself so you're ready for the playoffs. But sometimes if you go too far the other direction, you might wear yourself out. And I think Philly probably just, uh, you know, wore themselves out at the end. Um, at the same time, the Columbus is like, oh, gosh, we're in the playoffs. Let's, let's do something about it. And so the combination of the two is probably what happened there. So yeah, that's actually what do you really guys good predict? point by Holly there because uh, Columbus kind of playing with house money in the sense of didn't necessarily sure. expect to be there and then uh, mm-hmm. uh, went out and, and pulled the big upset. And I think that really makes the team dangerous in that regard. So that's, that's, that's a good point. Now, Neil and Holly, I'm on point here. Uh, New York has a big obstacle here. New York, I mean, I, they're, on a riot, they're on a high right now trying to finish the season strong and, and get to that final. But Columbus is dangerous. That's what I'm trying to say right now. There's no question that uh, uh, Columbus is a dangerous dangerous team. I think, you know, again, what you would say about the New York Sharks is, you know, I understand that you're you're supposed to be impartial and not really have a rooting interest in everything else. But if there's not kind of a part of you that isn't, you know, for most people, there's kind of a part of you that has to be rooting a little bit for the New York Sharks to, uh, in their 20th and last season, particularly with a potential matchup uh, with the Minnesota Vixen, if, you know, the top seeds were to make it all the way to the WFA2 championship game and to have the Sharks end their 20-year run potentially on a national championship game stage against a team like the Vixen, would be, you know, would be just a storybook thing given, obviously, their two longest-running teams in the sport and the fact that they played two years ago in uh, the IWFL Eastern Conference Championship game and had just an epic game that New York looked like they had in hand until a 90-plus-yard pick-six by Minnesota that wound up being a, a top-ten highlight on SportsCenter. So, you know, that that to see the rematch of that, I think, you know, that's something that – Everybody in the sport, was, there's a part of them they would like to see that, but, but look, you know, there's a reason why those, those are sort of storybook things because they don't always happen. 
And there are definitely teams like Mile High and Columbus and Tampa who are out to absolutely upset that that uh, potential storyline and ha- are more than capable of doing that because, you know, if you recall, and this is a while back, but uh, uh, those two teams actually uh, five years ago uh, before the Sharks left uh, played in a playoff game. The last time they met in the playoffs, Columbus uh, went on out to New York and upset the Sharks 22-20 to 20, uh, in a playoff game and eliminated from the playoffs five years ago. So Columbus is not going to be intimidated playing the New York Sharks and walking into that atmosphere. And, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're not going to be swayed by storylines. They're, they're going to go ahead and, and, and try to do this. And, and, and they're, like I say, at this point, with the confidence they have, they're a dangerous, they're a dangerous team at 7-2. and two. I agree. I, uh, that's what I'm saying, very dangerous. And what would not, you know, for them – it would be they almost didn't get into the playoffs, and now they they literally have a chip on their shoulders going, hey, we're not going to just, you know, this New York story is going to go down because we, we got to make our own story, basically. Um, Minnesota goes against Wisconsin. Wisconsin, uh, because of Massey and everything else, makes it in, deserving or not, as they say, but looks like Minnesota will be facing Wisconsin here. Then um, we have the potential of Tampa Bay, Jacksonville, Dixie Blues, and there's another storyline right there, uh, Neil. Jacksonville has come on strong. Miami sort of dropped off, even though they got in because of the Massey scenario. But uh, Jacksonville also is one of those resurgent teams, and what I, I'm pretty sure they'd be happy to take down ter- uh, Tampa Bay. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, really, Massey doesn't really have anything to do with with either of those in the sense that. Uh, both uh, uh, Wisconsin and, you know, in that southeast region, there were only enough teams as there were playoff spots. So it was one of those situations which happens from time to time where just because of how the playoffs are structured, you know, uh, that all, all the teams in the southeast in Division II, uh, Tampa, Miami, and Jacksonville, uh, they were all going to make it into the playoffs, and so so too were, uh, were Minnesota and Wisconsin. So, we kind of knew that that was going to happen going in. Uh, un, you know, un, unfortunately, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those matchups where uh, Minnesota, you know, with Minnesota and Wisconsin, they've played, Minnesota's played Wisconsin a couple of times before, won both games handily. Uh, so, you know, you, you, you hope for the best in the playoff game, but, you know, I, there's really not much to indicate that'll be a more competitive matchup the second time around. But um, you're absolutely right about Jacksonville. I think Jacksonville right now is 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 kind of surging, uh, coming off the you know the semifinal win. They're not, uh, you know, they had a couple of pretty lopsided losses against Tampa as well. But uh, I think beating Miami as as much as they did, uh, the fact that they were able to turn around, uh, they were in an odd situation, Jacksonville, in that they played Miami in the last game of the regular season. Uh, and narrowly won, 12-6, to and then turn around and have to play them the following week in a playoff game, but they really, they really won decisively. And so maybe that's the momentum they need. But, but uh, Jacksonville's coming on strong, but I think Tampa has a ton of experience, and Tampa is another one of those teams that, look, they have, you know, they've won back-to-back Eastern Conference championships in WFA2. And I feel like a lot of teams still don't give them that kind of respect. They've only been bounced out in WFA2 uh, the past couple years by St. Louis, who's, who's on hiatus. So 
Tampa's got to feel like it's their time. And uh, Tampa is another one of those teams that people don't talk about that much, given that they've won back-to-back conference championships. They are, they are a very, 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 very dangerous team. And uh, to me, I think, you know, and, unless Jacksonville is really surging, I think Tampa is definitely a team to watch out for. Collie, what's your point on there? I mean, do you think the Inferno is out for respect here, and given that they don't have St. Louis as an obstacle? I, I think I think so, and I also think you know um, a factor might be uh, the Tampa Bay's already beat Jacksonville twice uh, this year in a, in a handled handily type of situation. I think Jacksonville is kind of filling that gap that Miami was in before they kind of dropped off. But it's going to be a, a tough pass for them to go into Tampa Bay because I do think Tampa Bay uh, has an agenda uh, to prove a point now that St. Louis is gone as well. So I think um, it should be a really interesting game, but I think uh, Neil was right in that Tampa has the, the upper hand. All right, you guys, let's go to Tier 1 here. Um, the experiment in, I guess you want to call it in Portland, because they have, you know, they've been up and down in terms of numbers, injuries, and everything else. They get to face Los Angeles one more time, and the last time they faced Los Angeles was not in in kind. So you know, uh, you know, LA has got so much power. Mary Rose Roach, uh, you got Lisa King, you got all the players in, on the Warriors. It's like a super all-star team in uh, Los Angeles. So I don't think anybody's going to expect an upset there. Uh, but, uh, um, Holly, do you, you – L.A., are you are we going with L.A. at this point? I, I think you kind of have to. I mean, I was there the last time that they played, and Portland is just – they're just down in, in numbers, and they've had a lot of injuries to the people that they have, you know, left on the roster. And it's just been a really tough year for them. Um, and on the other hand, uh, L.A., is just rolling, and I kind of feel bad for LA a little bit because they haven't really gotten a chance besides Portland to play a whole lot of games this year, and so they kind of are just stuck with what they have on the schedule. Um, so I don't know if they've really been challenged yet, and, and so we'll see what happens in the playoffs. But you're right, they are stacked, and then you have uh, Priscilla Gardner and Alexis Snyder as a one-two in the backfield. That's really tough to stop. Um, and then Chantel, their quarterback, played forever. She, she's a pretty smart quarterback. Um, so offensively, I think they, they're just going to have a lot of power uh, on, in the run game. It's going to be really hard for Portland to stop that. Uh, so unfortunately, unless uh, something crazy happens, I think you got to lean with L.A. on this one. Neil, are you going with L.A.? Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, Holly uh, nailed it in that they, you know, they played once already and and L.A. was able to win pretty convincingly. L.A., it's interesting to me that this this feels like in uh, the WFA uh, Division I West, a lot like last year where you had the Dallas Elite, who many thought were were the most talented team not only in the West but maybe in the entire league. who, you know, really the super team in Texas, you know, is kind of this this all this all-star type team in Texas, but they were the two seed in if you remember they were the two seed in the playoffs in the West because of lack of of real good local competition and and the resulting strength of schedule that came out of it. And even as the two seed 
in the West last year, a lot of people had Dallas as the favorite, and and obviously they turned out to not only win the West but but win the whole thing. And and this year, you know, you kind of have I think a very similar thing in the L.A. Warriors where they're kind of this California sort of super team. <laughs> they're in this big state. They've they've gleaned a lot of the top talent from this state, and uh, and yet they're the two seed in the West because. Again, of of the, the 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 lack of local competition that has been able to give them that kind of a strength schedule, and despite all that, I think you look at the talent on that team and you think, wow, this team, even though they're the two seed, probably the favorite in the West. Uh, just when you look up and down the roster, I think you know uh, they've brought in a lot of new people from Central Cal, and they brought in Alexis Snyder and uh, uh, Lisa King and. Um, uh, uh, the quarterback uh, uh, Wiggins, but to me, the, the the key of that whole team is the one who's 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 been there the whole time, which is Priscilla Gardner. She is such an outstanding running back. I mean, she is whether it's vintage Kenyatta Grigsby, vintage Whitney Zeely. She is playing at this sort of level where it is incredible. Her her rushing stats are, are not that impressive in terms of overall totals because they haven't played very many games. She hasn't had very many carries, but she's also <laughs> She's 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 averaging what twenty one yards a carry, <laughs> which is just absolutely absurd for for anyone. And I don't care how many games she's played or who she's played, twenty one yards a carry. I mean, she is she is a, a a a legitimately you know playing running back as as well as anyone in women's football has played it in, in recent years. And uh, she's the one who who kind of makes it turn. And of course, it'll be interesting uh, as the two seed if they have to go halfway across the country for the Western Conference Championship game, those traveling issues, and, and again, whether or not you've, you've played that kind of competition in the regular season, always throw a monkey wrench in it. But I think most people would look at the L.A. Warriors and say, even as a two-seed, uh, they're, they're, they're probably the favorite for most people in the West. Holly, um, we got the Phenom in Kansas City, two-quarterback two system. Lon Turner's put that together. We ended up criticizing them early in the season for – you know, having that type of scope, but they're here and they're ready. And Arlington takes down Dallas and Dallas looked like not of the old Dallas, of course. And so they don't muster up this year as they did, you know, previous years. And so Arlington really made an impact uh, this year, uh, you know, blowing out the elite and taking care of them and bouncing them off the playoffs. So um, at this point they're facing Kansas city, Kansas city did beat the elite earlier in the season. So um, Brooke, Leash out there and company, uh, Maddie Roses and everybody else, they're going to be having their hands full, I think, because Arlington's really out to prove something. I I think so. By the way, I'd like to point out your awesome pun of how Arlington made an impact. She just, you know, sidestepped pretty good. Um, (laughs) I don't know if you caught that. Did you do that on purpose? (laughs) Of course, on purpose. (laughs) Uh, no, I think Arlington is uh, having a, a solid year. I do think looking at the rest of their schedule besides their win against Dallas, it, they really haven't played anybody, uh, uh, you know, at a higher level besides Dallas. Um, I do think uh, Kansas City has had a slightly tougher schedule. I do think they have a lot of weapons on offense, but it, it's – great as a story as Brooke is for Kansas City and their two, uh, two quarterback system. 
Um, I think you also have to give credit uh, to the rest of their offense, um, and especially the running game. Um, I just think at this point, Kansas City has slightly more offensive power and that they'll, they'll run away with it on the ground against Arlington. And they have St. Louis Slam holdovers uh, or, you know, pe- uh, players from the St. Louis Slam from last year that actually have, are playing out on the Titans. So that's got to be a benefit as well. So, um, uh, Neil, do you, are you taking the phenom here over at Arlington? Uh, well, uh, she is definitely a phenom. There's no question about that. I love uh, the fact that, I mean, the, the, the storylines as far as a 17-year-old quarterback for the uh, for the top seed in, in the WFA One West is is so interesting because you look at the potential of if Kansas City were to play additional teams down the line like the LA Warriors or if they were to make it to the championship game, you know she's going to go up against players on the other team like Mary Rose Roche uh, in uh, LA or you know potentially in a championship game against uh, an Allison Cahill of Boston or Lisa Horton of Pittsburgh or Trigger McNair the middle linebacker of the DC Divas who all of whom have been playing, if not as long as she's been alive, since the time she was in diapers, and yet here she is on that one is side representing the youth of it against unbe- an unbelievable, you know, veterans of the L.A. Warriors and Pittsburgh and Boston and D.C. So that's it's an interesting sort of uh, uh, juxtaposition between the two, and uh, uh, it's, it's a lot of fun to watch. But I think, you know, I, I think given how Kansas City fared against – Dallas earlier this year. I think they're they're going to be tough to beat at home in the conference semifinal, uh, but I think uh, it, it it sets up a really good, really really good. If the seedings hold, a very good uh, potential Kansas City uh, uh, hosting LA scenario for the Western Conference Championship because I think that 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 could potentially be a game to watch. But it's also you know this is a sport where where anything can happen if you uh, if you let your guard down. So it'll It'll certainly be interesting to see how those two semifinals go. All right. Uh, Holly, are you sticking around, or are you bailing? Yeah, I have to bounce. Um, uh, (laughs) But uh, thank you for having me on, and I will be back uh, probably next week. Awesome. All right, Holly, have safe travels out there. Enjoy your night. All right. Thank you. So, Neil, um, that's interesting because if if, – Brooke Leach makes it here and beats Arlington. You are you are right. And then going up against Chantel Wiggins, and then if she somehow overcomes Los Angeles for whatever reason, yeah, you're going up against veteran established you know quarterbacks on the East Coast in Boston and Pittsburgh. And then you also have you know uh, Amanda, who's sort of a putting her footmark on here, uh, you know, with uh, Hamlin out you know now, and she's kind of the leader of the Divas now. So. Uh, um, I don't think you're biased, you know, because a lot of people are thinking you're because you're a DC fan favorite there. But, but the reality is Amanda has played really well this season. Well, I, you know, people often accuse me of bias. The one thing I will say is I do work in the front office of the DC Divas, and so I, I, I do want them to succeed, and I have an invested uh, interest in seeing them do well. I cheer for them. I want them to do well. I think, you know, when you put on your commentator hat as far as the sport as a whole, you put that aside and you put that aside as best you can, you know, as, as anyone would. I think if you had, 
you know, anybody, you know, like uh, uh, Luis Bean or something talking about San Diego and Utah, you know, you'd have to, she has an affinity toward Utah and, and that's something you have to put aside. You do your best to consciously put it aside, but at the same time, you know, you're, you're in a position where, you know, you are battling a, a, a bias that you know you do have and you can do it and you can be professional about it. And I, I do, but, uh, but yeah, it's, it's, uh, I work with the DC divas and it's, it's been fun to watch them this season because they're growing and uh, they're young and they're getting better. And, um, and, and, and yet they're, they're in their typical slug fight with uh, Pittsburgh and Boston who are both phenomenal teams. And so I think that's what's made the Eastern conference so much fun to watch this year. When you think about Pittsburgh, Boston and DC having played each other five times, every single game decided by eight points or less. That is the parody that I think people want to see from the sport and are interested in seeing in the sport. And uh, they've all been great matchups. And so uh, uh, it's, it's been a lot of fun to, uh, to, to be on the sidelines for a lot of those games this season. Now, uh, Atlanta obviously is coming into D.C. here thinking they got to win to get in and go home and represent at home. So they really are, I mean, I think in, in their mind, they got to come in and just, they got to take down DC, but DC's on a roll here, both sides of the ball. They've been playing really good and they've been very aggressive on both sides of the ball. So um, I don't know. I think the Phoenix have a really huge obstacle here coming uh, against the Divas. Well, it's funny with, with Atlanta because you don't actually want to say it's, it's kind of cursed, but uh, it's, it's worth noting that no one has actually been able to play in the national championship game when they've been hosting it. And, uh, you know, here, here you have a team like Pittsburgh who hosted it the past couple of years. This year it decides to move to another venue, and Pittsburgh starts off the year 6-0. So, you know, they're, they're putting themselves in a position to possibly play in a championship game when, you know, they, they weren't able to do that the two years they were hosting it. So it, it's, Atlanta has a, is, is a hard-hitting team. They have a lot of, of tradition. They're a proud team. They're, they're obviously, it's, it's, it's tough. It's a tall task to ask them to go north twice and win. Certainly they could go north uh, and, and, you know, knock off uh, uh, the Divas' hopes potentially, but asking them to do it twice is, 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 is asking a lot. But, again, that, that's a team with a lot of championship tradition going all the way back to the explosion. And they've got some real, real good playmakers uh, uh, like, uh, like Kristen London. So, you know, they're, they're, they're certainly a team to watch, but, you know, as far as the Divas are concerned, it's been, like I say, a year of growth for a young team because they started one and two. And when you looked at the Divas, they were two and two, and at home hosting the Boston Renegades, their their top rivals. And Boston came out on fire, and uh, the Divas were actually down 28 to six midway through the second quarter. And you're halfway through the second quarter, you're down 22 points, you're already two and two on the year, and that's a real gut check time in terms of your whole season is, you know, has the potential to go off the rails, but, you know, the Divas like Boston, a very battle-tested team uh, 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 with a lot of veteran, you know, veteran presence, even though they're young in, in some spots, uh, they, they managed to come back, they scored four unanswered touchdowns, they scored the game winner with four minutes to go, and they held on for a win, and that seemed to change the whole tenor of the Divas season in the sense that they came back the next week, handed Pittsburgh their first loss, and and managed to get the one seed in, in, in the East. But uh, uh, like I say, it's been, it's been interesting to watch them grow. Uh, they're, you know, what they've done in the regular season is great. 
Um, but the playoffs is a whole whole different deal, as you as you know. And I do want to mention, you know, the offense. You know, the way that the Divas have been able to rebuild the offense is is impressive because, you know, you look two years ago when the Divas won the national championship, and then you look at them this year, they only have four starters back from two years ago when they won the championship. They've had to replace seven of their starters on offense. They have Katrina Wilson, who's a fantastic wide receiver. Uh, she was with Ashley Wisenant two years ago. Now she's clearly the focal point of, of the receiving core of the Divas. You have uh, Okima Pickett, who's now Okima Trotter, after having gotten married in the offseason, at fullback, who not to be overlooked because you think fullback is negligible. She is playing fullback at a level that is absolutely fantastic. And she is a huge part of the reason why the Divas have been able to get pass protection, to throw the ball, and, and to open holes running it. She is playing fullback at just an unbelievable level. And, and the veteran experience is huge there. And then, of course, you have uh, Becky Warsham, the all-world uh, tackle on the offensive line, left tackle. And then Rachel Warsham, who is in the, helped help solidify the interior line. She actually uh, uh, sat out the first couple of games. As she thought about retirement, came back, and she's helped solidify that offensive line. But, but you have seven new starters uh, on offense from two years ago and also almost an entirely new offensive coaching staff. If you look at uh, the offensive coaching staff, four of the five offensive coaches for the Divas two years ago were gone. The only one who's still there is Greg Gaskins, who was the co-offensive coordinator two years ago, who's now the head coach uh, for the Divas this year. But you know, you've had to replace all these players on offense, all these coaches on offense, and uh, uh, it's it's the way they've been able to do it is great. Uh, obviously, the credit first and foremost goes to Allison Hamlin, who is in her first full season as the Divas offensive coordinator this year, and she's been able to put the pieces in place. I mean, she knows the game, and she's been able to put the pieces in place to take advantage of everybody's talents offensively. And then, you know, Amanda Congialdi taking over the reins at quarterback. The fact that she's been able to help the Divas stay in contention with, you know, Boston, which has Allison Cahill, and Pittsburgh, which has Lisa Horton. I mean, for so many years, that was those teams. There's Lisa Horton in Pittsburgh, Allison Cahill in Boston, Allison Hamlin in D.C. And when Hamlin stepped down, it, it looked like, oh, goodness, you know, what are we going to do now? And uh, the fact that the Divas have been able to – regenerated quarterback. Uh, Amanda Congialdi has been able to step in, and the Divas have been able to remain competitive with a Cahill-led Boston and a Horton-led Pittsburgh is is a heck of a thing. But, again, that's the regular season, playoffs, and sure. trying to beat uh, quarterbacks with that kind of talent in the playoffs is a whole different story. But uh, but but really proud of how the te- that, that team has been able to grow, and, uh, you know, it's, 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 it's been an exciting journey. But uh, – it all comes down to, to how things go uh, from here on out playoffs to see how 2018 uh, wraps up. So we're looking at a rematch between D.C. and Pittsburgh or D.C. and Boston. That's really what you're telling me, right? Well, if they beat Atlanta, yes. <laughs> I mean, you know, you can well, never I mean. take out a, a hard-hitting team like Atlanta. Atlanta, you know, the Divas have played Atlanta a few times in the past, and the Divas have come out on top. Uh, fairly decisively, but I can also tell you those have been very, very, very physical games. And and not just, you know, uh, a few years back, it went over the line. <laughs> I mean, it went way over the line. But then they had a coaching change, and now Atlanta is one of these teams that, you know, they're physical, and they play right to the whistle. 
but they but they know you know where the line is, which is which is good to you know it's good to see them have evolved that way. But but look, a game against Atlanta, you know you can this is this is what women's football is, and we saw this with Cahill a couple of years ago playing the Chicago Force. You know, one hit and one injury, and everybody's playoff expectations change on a dime. You know, and and that can happen with Boston or Pittsburgh too, and so. You know, you never sort of sit back and say, oh, yeah, this is, you know, this is going to be an easy one. Because once the game gets going, you know, uh, the Divas were getting ready to play New York in the, in the final game of the regular season. And the Divas knew that they needed a good win to maybe get the one seed. And then the next thing you know, all week, there are these forecasts of torrential rainstorms. <laughs> and, you know, you show up and the, the, they were able to avoid most of that. But Atlanta knows as well as anybody you know, they're playing the Alabama fire and they think it's, you know, going to go one way. And the next thing you know, you're playing in the monsoon and they wind up losing six to nothing in, in a game That's where, true. you know, nobody can move the ball. So you right. can't ever take anything for granted. And particularly with a team that, like I said, do does have a lot of players with talent in Atlanta. So uh, uh, it's, 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 it's going to be interesting to see how the conference semifinals go. But, uh, but uh, I definitely think, uh, uh, a potential rematch between D.C. and one of those teams would, would certainly be something to watch given how the regular season went. And let's talk about Boston and Pittsburgh here. Prehistoric on both sides, playmakers on both sides, uh, leadership at the very top level, uh, legendary leadership at the quarterback level and uh, positions. But what a story, Boston, you know, uh, with the owner change and everything else and Molly making strides out there and getting the organization pretty much on track. Um, I know it hasn't been easy, but they have stayed in, in the spotlight basically. And then you also have Pittsburgh here who has literally, you know, changed over this year and then just come out so, so uh, awesomely fired, especially with Kozo and Baker. So uh, the, the game here, this is the game that I think we have to watch, not taking away from DC or Atlanta, but this is going to be the game to watch because like you said, it's, it's going to be a battle of two legendary quarterbacks, and you got a lot of playmakers on both sides. No, absolutely, without question, it is the game of the week. I mean, just to, uh, just how how good both of these teams are. You know, Boston and Pittsburgh. I mean, such great franchises with talent up and down the roster. You know, as far as Boston goes, and 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 Molly goes, you you have to give them an incredible amount of credit because look, I I. Boston has served as the Divas' chief rival, and, you know, occasionally there's a little bit of needling that goes on and whatever else. I will say this about Boston. You know, they were able to dominate in the militia era, and a lot of it was the fact that they had more money than everyone else because they were backed by a millionaire. And they were able to build this juggernaut team. And even in the first couple years of the Renegades, they, they, they weren't backed by the money anymore, but they still had the same core of players that was built during the militia days. And so... It was essentially the same team, just without the same money backing it. But when you look at the Renegades this year, they are, you know, Whitney Zeely hasn't played in the regular season. Stacey Tiamfouk hasn't played in the regular season. Adrienne Smith hasn't played in the regular season. And yet they are still just as good as they have ever been with a completely new cast of, of characters, it seems like. And, and yes, there are some, some, some players like Cahill who obviously are still there, but this is a team standing on its own two feet. Uh, this is no longer, you know, the militia. This is a whole new team that is competing at a high level, completely on their own. The Pascal, 
uh, I hope I'm saying their names right, Pascal sisters, uh, Angelica and Stephanie, are both really, really good playmakers. They're both very tough to stop. Shante Bonds, of course, is a longtime vet who is, who is really good. And Beinecke, uh is, is an extremely, mm. extremely dangerous wide receiver. I would, I would say she's you know, up there as one of the best wide receivers in the league. But, but then you look across the, the, the line uh, at the other sideline, Angela Baker, who Angela Baker is both on offense and defense. Uh, such a threat uh, against uh, in the two games against the Divas. Angela Baker has had a couple of interceptions on uh, on defensively because she is you know I, I think she had an interception in the the game that the Divas lost in Pittsburgh that essentially sealed the game for for the Passion. She is uh, uh, dynamic on both sides of the ball. So first of all, Boston, what they've been able to do, tremendous. If there's a team that can win out of the three seed. They can go on the road and beat Pittsburgh, and then go on the road and beat D.C., it's Boston. Boston can absolutely do that, and it, would not, it should not be regarded as a surprise at all to anyone if that's exactly what they do, because they can absolutely go on the road and beat Pittsburgh and then go on the road and beat D.C. They are that good and that talented. And again, Cahill is such a heady quarterback. Uh, and then on the Pittsburgh side of it, again, uh, to me what's interesting about Pittsburgh is the defense is just really 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 rock solid it is a really tough hard-hitting defense and that's you know that's given so many teams problems and then when you have you know a veteran like lisa horton guiding all the weapons that they have down there and and like i like i said angela baker who is i think leading the league and receiving by quite a large margin um you know they're they are a really dynamic team and and for pittsburgh you know, I know they won a couple of championships in the IWFL against against lesser competition. This is a team that can legitimately win the big one. This is a team that can legitimately win against anybody. And uh, you know, you almost had kind of had a sense like maybe this is you know maybe this is a destiny type year for them too. So this is going to be a phenomenal matchup in in this game. And uh, like I say, Pittsburgh won in the regular season in a game by three. I mean, this is a this is a game that can absolutely go either way. Again, it could come down to the last possession with with two veteran quarterbacks. I think that game was 44-41, which is like who's going to have the ball last, Cahill or Horton, you know? And so uh, uh, it's going to be a lot of fun fun to watch. And, and in my mind, no question, the game of the of the conference semifinals. It's 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 definitely the one to watch with with two outstanding teams like that. It's going to be interesting. Uh, the Tier 1 matchup is going to be interesting. I mean, uh, we're looking at the Phenom maybe even going all the way down to Atlanta. You know, if they, if it happens to where she faces L.A. and downs L.A., then you're going to face one of those uh, premier teams, either in Boston, Pittsburgh, or D.C. But uh, the scenario in tier, in tier 1 looks very exciting football for the playoffs, and especially for yeah, the end result in Atlanta. Who's going to land in Atlanta? So uh, Los Angeles seems to be a locked in right now, but – Stranger things have happened. Kansas City would love nothing else but to, you know, go to L, uh, no, host L.A. or whatever and beat L.A., uh, that kind of deal, and, and move on to the to Atlanta. So really good storylines there uh, all the way around. And then we got Tier 3, Orlando, Mississippi. Really interested to see how that's going to turn out because Mississippi has been playing so very good good ball in Tier 3. Uh, and Orlando would love nothing else but to return to the to the finals again. Um, so the really big stories um, in every tier. So Neil, the 
the WFA has just been so exciting the whole year. And then tier three, almost a March Madness type of, uh, you know, playoff bracketing. Yeah, I really don't in WFA three, unlike the other two uh, divisions in, in, in tier three, I really hesitate to make predictions because it's so completely up and down. I think when you saw in that first season, when the Zydeco uh, won the inaugural WFA three championship, and I'm not sure if they've won a game. I mean, it's, it's, and, and last year, you, who would have picked the Arkansas Wildcats with at, at 13 players at times running all the way to the, to the championship. I mean, it's, you're dealing with teams that are, that have such small rosters that are, and, and even more so than in division one and division two, it's a situation where one player twists an ankle and everything is completely thrown out the window because the rosters are so small and, and the players are dominating on both sides of the line, offensively and defensively. So, you know, it's obviously as long as you have last year's uh, conference championships, uh, conference champions, and the Arkansas Wildcats and the Orlando Anarchy still in the mix, they're certainly going to be a lot of people's favorites to, to get back there and rematch. But uh, you just don't know when you start throwing these, these teams out there, you know, which teams have, have taken a jump. And, and in particular, you know, you have a case like the Mississippi Royalty who are a first-year team. And, you know, you, you haven't really seen them in this situation. Who knows how it's going to go? And, again, uh, uh, you know, it was uh, – I have been and continue to be a staunch, staunch defender of the Massey ratings. I think they're absolutely necessary – they, they provide an essential function in the WFA, and I've written articles on this, so I don't need to go into it all again. But I'll, I'll say this, that, you know, every once in a while it does, you know, a, a rating comes out with Massey that I don't necessarily agree with. I understand where they're coming from. I wouldn't necessarily agree with. I was a little surprised they had the Mississippi Royalty ahead of Orlando. That's just me. But you know what? For Orlando, they're still in a position where, you know, you're looking at a you're looking at a game in Orlando, a game in Mississippi, and if you win that, you're back to Orlando and then Atlanta for the championship. So this is a team that really could could stay in the southeast and, and could make a run. Um, but again, with these teams, you just don't know because they're all so, you know, it's everything's so variable. So with with me with WFA three, I tend to put a lot of the analysis aside and just sit back and enjoy and watch and see how it turns out because. Uh, it's really a tier where absolutely anything can happen, and that's there's a lot of fun to, there's a lot of fun to be had with that. And that's the reason I the last two years I have not covered D three for a whole season until like the three weeks prior to the season, because then it's exciting because now we're getting to elimination stage where a couple teams like you said based on low numbers and you get a couple players out of the loop they go from thirteen to nine and you know what I'm saying. And at that point, some people just knock themselves out. And then you get the true teams, like the last two weeks of the season prior to the, the first playoff is where you get to see the really who stands out and stuff like that. So um, hats off. Toledo, I think, is on a, you know, Toledo really, I think, if they're listening, um, they really want to make an impact this year in T in T3. And they're going up against Richmond. Richmond, I think, also the same. So the game to watch in T3 for me would be Toledo-Richmond. The outcome of that will really decide, um, you know, how well they oil to go up against maybe Arkansas or Orlando in that sense. Um, but uh, we'll, we'll wait and see at this point how that happens. Um, Neil, give me your take on the best of the West. 
And we already know how bitter you are about the IWFL. You're no different than Burmy and me, and we've all <laughs> pretty much have gone that route ourselves. Um, you know, we, we obviously we've always had the same opinion in, in a lot of ways. And so at this point, uh, I think it's a business move in that sense. On that side, uh, it's a new concept. I really think it's something that, you know, it's needed. It is done internationally at the international uh, stage. You know, a lot of the uh, organizations, uh, women's football organizations internationally do uh, create tournaments. In other words, you know, round-robin tournaments where they bring in a three-day three event type mentality and they set it up. It's not very – it doesn't happen as often here in the States. You know, like let's say an East Coast tournament, you know, best of the East, where you put, you know, Boston, Pittsburgh, and, uh, you know, D.C. and uh, Atlanta or everybody else on, on a weekend. You know what I mean? But it is done overseas and, and they're so somewhat successful. They've done in, they're done in men, men's competitions also. So what do you think of this, this whole concept of the best of the West? Well, uh, the first, well, the very first thing that I would say is a lot of people have been saying it's a round robin. It's not a round robin. Okay. Let's just put that aside. Round robin is not right, okay, exactly. That's not what it means. If it was, if it was a round robin, then we'd have, you know, a team, San Diego would be playing Utah and Seattle and Texas on the same weekend. Uh, it's it's a four team tournament. We're going to have the semifinals one day. Two days later, you're going to have a consolation and a championship game, which uh, is is a good format. I you know I, I understand that's being pedantic, but uh, a lot of people say that, and I just want to say that's you know that's that word doesn't mean what some people think it means. Um, you know, as far as that the the tournament itself goes, I you know I I obviously listened to your show uh, two weeks ago when uh, the four principal uh, individuals. Uh, four of the principal individuals behind it were were on the show. It was it was interesting to listening to. Obviously, it was interesting listening to Coach Rasmussen make a veiled reference to someone who sounds awfully a lot like me talking about how uh, critical. They but it wasn't you, Neil. Rest. No, it was no, it, it it wasn't. I'm sure it was. I'm sure it was someone <laughs> else who who works with the team in another league. Uh, I was like, well, it could be backseat coach potentially. The thing is, is that I haven't cool. said anything about the best of the West publicly either. So, you know, yeah. uh, in terms of being labeled a critic, I've been at times uh, uh, a critical of the Utah Falcons uh, in the sense of not even critical, just mentioning the fact that they don't play uh, hardly any of their, their top peers. Uh, they, you know, they, they, the schedule that they've played, they've built up, they're a great organization, great team. They've put together an unbelievably great record but they don't play a lot of their, their competitive equals. They just don't. And, you know, I showed that uh, empirically. And, of course, that makes people mad. If it makes them mad, then it makes them mad. But, you know, I, 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 I tell the truth. That's what I do. I'm, I'm not somebody who's just going to pull punches just for the sake of pulling punches. So, you know, uh, uh, you know Coach Rasmussen sort of called out as a critic uh, of the best of the West. I hadn't said anything about the best of the West, but, you know, it's, it's, it is what it is. Um, what I'll say about this is, you know, as far as the actual Best of the West tournament, um, I think it's going to be a great event as long as you are understanding of what it, what it is and what it's not. I mean, appreciate what it's going to be, which is there are four really good teams coming together to play, you know, in, in Vegas. Three of those four teams are among the best that this sport has to offer. I mean, I, I say the Blue Blood teams, Texas, San Diego, Utah, they're three of the absolute best. Seattle is a very, very good team, very good team. They're a step below those other three historically, and they have been for a decade or so. But they're still very good and, and good enough that this tournament is going to be 
a lot of fun to watch. But I think my main criticism, if you want to say that I have it, is I think, you know, again, I listened to the, to the thing two weeks ago, and people were effusive about how this is a complete game changer in women's football, and women's football will never be the same with this whole, whole advent this event, and it's like, okay, let's, let's, let's just slow down a little bit. Because Too early, is that what you're happened, saying, Neil? The Too early, is that what you're saying? happened was, yeah, well, what happened was these four teams were all part of a league in the IWFL, and the IWFL basically fell apart in the middle of the season. I mean, it, and, you know, the funny thing is, is that three of these teams joined the IWFL this year, and I said prior to the year, this is not going to turn out well for them because the IWFL, they're better than the IWFL. They should not be joining this league. This league ownership does not care about the sport. They don't care about, you know, uh, the, their member teams, who they should care about. They don't care about – I don't know what they care about. I mean, they care about, I don't know, nacho sales at Bigel Halls. I don't know what they care about. But the point is they were too good for this. And I said this is not – they're not going to get anything out of the IWFL that they deserve. And – I got criticized for that. I got called a villain. I got called whatever else. Six months later, it's exactly as I told everyone it would be. I mean, I, I will, absolutely I am gonna tell you thusly. I am going to tell you <laughs> that that was really that, that was really the, the the thought process that I had when I when I literally saw the news of everything. Following them for a while, I literally decided not to even cover it. Even the only person that was giving us updates was Luis because she was working with the Utah. But I wasn't even covering the IWFL technically because of the fact that I already knew that this was going to be a derailment. Uh, and just because of the travel costs out west was just my own biggest factor. And here it is. It's proven correctly. There is just no way you can physically do that, uh, I mean uh, financially do that, and, and be viable and not going to happen. So – for them to go there, to your point, yes, big mistake. Well, and I said this before, which is, is kind of funny, because at the time what I had said was if Christina Carrillo and Hiroko and all these people, they're not, they don't want to be in the WFA or they can't get in the WFA, you know, either you know, they don't want to be in the WFA or the WFA doesn't want them in or maybe both. I don't know. I, I have no idea what goes on behind the scenes. But if that's the case, then – Hiroko and Christina Carrillo, Hiroko, who at that time is still, uh, still you know, uh, running uh, the Falcons, they should get their heads together and start their own league because there's nothing the IWFL can offer them that they can't do themselves. And, but instead they decided to just take the easy path of go with the IWFL. And long story short, because of forfeits, because of buys, excessive buys, because of you know, games against teams that turned out didn't exist, uh, you know, shout out to the Rogue Valley elements, you know, <laughs> I mean – because of these types of things, you had teams who were going over a month without playing a game, and you simply can't have that. And so, you know, what, what wound up happening, more importantly, what happened was two, about two-thirds uh, the way through the season, the IWFL had said nothing about their championship. They said nothing about where it was going to be held. They said nothing about, you know, what city it was going to be in. They, they didn't say, you know, what the playoff structure was going to be like, what the seedings were going to be like, how many teams were going to get in, was there going to be a founder's pool? Nothing, absolutely nothing. And people were asking me, you know, what's, what's going on? I said, I no one, I don't think the teams in the IWFL know. So finally, these four teams decided to put together this tournament. Now, what, what I want to say about this tournament, and this is the most important thing, is 
there are so many people hailing this as an innovative step in women's football and all these kinds of things. This is something where, you know, these four teams were in a position where the league was collapsing around them. They had to do something. So this is what they came up with. I think it's going to turn out to be a great event because of the, because of the stature of the four uh, teams and organizations and individuals involved in putting it together. But at the same time, this was not a situation where, you know, so often it's been portrayed that these teams look back and saw the problems within the sport and the, and the problems with the systemic problems with leagues, and they decided we need to try a bold new step. That's not what happened. What happened was they were in the IWFL. It started collapsing like a dying star, and they said, well, we've got to do something. And so this is what they came up with. Now, look, I think the event is going to be great. I think you know, necessity is the mother of invention, and I think what they're going to come up with is going to be good in that I think it's going to be high-level competition. What I'm not convinced of is that this is going to be fundamentally different from anything we've seen in women's football before because what I still haven't heard from anybody is you know, a week after this weekend in Las Vegas, you're going to have the WFA Championship weekend in Atlanta. And in that, you're going to have some high-level teams playing. You're going to have a lot of teams getting together. You're going to have 60-plus teams sending their best players to play in the WFA All-American game. You're going to have you know, nobody sitting here saying, oh, the 2018 WFA weekend in Atlanta is going to change the sport forever. But you have a lot of people saying that about Vegas, which – I'm not sure the difference. I mean, the games are going to be streamed. Well, the games are going to be streamed both places. I, I, I think if what your expectations are of the Best of the West tournament in Las Vegas is you're going to see four really, really good teams, three of the best in the sport, and then another really good team in Seattle. If you want to see them play high-quality women's football, if that's what your expectations are, you're going to be very entertained. If you're expecting to see something that's going to change the face of the sport forever, you know, whether it's because of you know, whether it's, you know, this is going to be the gateway for something. Just temper those expectations and just watch the tournament and enjoy it for what it is, which is a lot of really good athletes and some good teams uh, getting a chance to play against each other in, in a unique format. That's, that's it'll be a wait, it'll be what, a what I would take away. Wait and see. It'll be a wait and see how it evolves after that. Um, my my uh, two cents to it was if the tournament works out really well, it's a project that could be done, you know, more than once, maybe two or three times in a year, and then kind of branch out into, like you said, its own league formatting. So it's, we'll see how see, it works I'm, out. But, I'm, the yeah. difficulty with that, and, and the reason I'm more skeptical of that is because you can, you can have this as a one-off event, and it can, it's going to go off great, and I think the teams are, it's going to be sure. wonderful. It's going to be, I think it's going to be fun. The thing is, is if you try to replicate it over and over multiple times a year, you're in a situation where you haven't saved a lot of te- you haven't saved teams a lot on travel costs. Like right. one of the things that's been mentioned is oh there's a movement towards small regional leagues. Well, what in the world about Seattle, Utah, San Diego, and Dallas, Texas is regional? Like you, if you want to replicate this again, at some point you're going to have there's to put a, a game in Dallas, right? Because yeah. I mean the the Texas yeah. elite Spartans fans want to see their team play at home. Well, are you going to fly sure. all three of those teams out? In the, you know, that was part of the travel cost that they were fighting against in the first place. You know, part of the reason they decided to put this on is because Seattle and, and San Diego were running out of players and running out of money. So they said, you know, sure. we can't afford to go to Texas. We'll go to Las Vegas instead. Well, if you try to replicate this, it doesn't solve the fact, the problem that the Texas Elite Spartans have, which is that they don't have any local competition 
that can give them there there are only about six teams that the the Dallas that the Texas Elite Spartans can play where they're not going to route them by 50. There's only about six teams across the country, and none of them are in their time zone. And that's a True. problem that even these tournaments, you know, you can solve it for one tournament, for a one-off tournament, you can solve it. But, you know, in terms of figuring it out long-term, as far as creating a league and creating those other things, it's still a problem that I haven't seen an answer that this helps solve. Because if you try to do it over and over again, eventually fans aren't going to want to travel. I mean, fans will travel. Dallas, Texas Elite Spartans fans will travel to Vegas to watch this game. They'll do it once a year. Just like a Minnesota Vixen fan, if they make the, the championship game, they'll go from Minnesota down to Atlanta once a year to watch them play right. for the title. But to ask them to do it two, three, four times a year, I don't see it. I mean, how it's, it's eventually, economically, it, start, it stops making sense. So, again, right. what I advise people to do is watch this tournament for the high-level competition that it is and you know, enjoy these great teams battling it out together. But in terms of solving the systemic issues that some of these teams face with respect to travel costs and whatever else, those I haven't seen a solution proposed to yet. Now, maybe they'll find one. But I think you know, one of the things people are saying is, well, now you finally have O.J. Jenkins and Scott McCarron in Seattle and Carissa, uh, Christina Carrillo in San Diego. They're all together in the same room putting their heads together. All three of these people were in the WFA a year ago. And – they could have put their heads together a year ago on these issues. Like nothing was preventing them from putting their heads together uh, a year ago. I, you know, it, and they could have had Teresa Kahn and you know uh, Molly Goodwin and other people, uh, intelligent people, and in and in, in dozens of, of great team owners to to also bring in to, to brainstorm ideas. So, you know, as far as this is bringing them together, they could have been brought together long ago. I think what you're seeing is you're seeing the fact that they're they're not in the WFA for whatever reason, and they haven't found another suitable league. And, you know, so there's, you know, if they want to create one, that, that'll work. But the pro- again, the problem is, is you're going to have either you're going to have a travel problem or a parity problem. And you got to choose True. one and neither True. one's an ideal choice. But at this point, you know, that's what happens when you create a super team in Dallas with all the best sure. players from Texas and then take a couple players from Chicago and a couple players from Pittsburgh and a couple from D.C. and a couple from Cleveland. I mean, and then, you, and then you're going to sit around and say, well, nobody can compete with us. Well, of course nobody can compete with you. <laughs> I mean, you know, but now you have to decide, do we, do we battle the travel issue or do we battle the fact that we're going to get bored blowing people out by 50 points a game? Which sure. problem are we going to attack? But it's hard to attack both at once, you know. And, yeah, and it, you know, I think again, that's, been, that's been the issue – I mean, all all through the sport since I've been covering it. So it's really still something that hasn't been fixed. Um, Neil, right? Let's let's talk international here because we have a lot of weekend great matchups coming up here. Uh, I know you try to follow some of the international leagues, and we follow them exclusively here uh, because that's what we do. Uh, Lexfa had their finals down south, Division One, and then Division Two and Division Three. You guys can get the highlights from. Our uh, network partner, Teresa uh, Cuarto, on our Facebook page. You can watch the live games there. Mermidians uh, beat the Vaqueros 24-15 to win the Division One championship. The Harlequins beat the Aldelitas 33-12 to win the Division Two championship. The Guerreras 14-8 uh, over the Supergirls to win the Division Three championship. And like I said, you guys can catch that 
uh, live on our Facebook page at Great Iron Beauties on Facebook uh, via Terset Cuarto coverage there. Um, so uh, the other uh, matchup that's coming up, Neil, is up north in Canada. We have the cross-conference championships this past weekend, Saskatoon Valkyries, which has owned this, uh, this league. They're the best team, basically, in league history. They beat uh, Calgary Rage 30-6. to six. Uh, The Regina Riot with uh, their missing uniforms, and they were the uniforms were donated by the Thunder to uh, play this game. Uh, they took care of Edmonton 45-9. There is a, a concept here, Neil. It was a cross-conference concept because uh, the, the last two years the championship game has been so lopsided that they decided the league decided cross the conferences. So the West teams still fall this year, um, basically by a large margin. And so we're going to have the two best teams in the WWCFL in Saskatchewan, uh, battle it out to see who's going to be the better team. It is Regina, Saskatoon. Uh, these are the two best teams in Canada in terms of this league. And so they get to face each other June 24th. So this is, this is a sort of like a, Pittsburgh Boston matchup coming up here uh, on June 24th. Well, it's intelligent scheduling certainly from from that league because the Riot and the Valkyrie have you know they've they've been the two dominant teams in this league basically since it's 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 forming in in 2011. I think they've won between them won every league championship, and so you know because of location they've been in the same conference. And like you said, the conference championships became these these great battles, uh, and then, you know, the championship game was basically uh, nothing more than a coronation of the Valkyries or the Riot, whoever won that one, uh, they just sort of run away with things. It kind of became, uh, uh, it reminds me of the mid-90s when the 49ers and the Cowboys would play, and it was like, you know, yeah. okay, and then we'll play the AFC champion in the Super Bowl, but that's, you know, whoever wins this one is going to win. So uh, that's intelligent scheduling. It, it needed to happen, I think. You know, it, it may eventually get monotonous if you constantly have uh, uh, Saskatoon and, and uh, uh, the Riot going up against each other all the time in the championship, but those are the two best teams. I mean, that's what, what are you going to do? Uh, you, if those two are going to play every year, have them play in the championship game, and so I think that's, that's really well done. And, and uh, uh, yeah, it's, 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 it's one of those things that's always kind of hard to predict because of the lack of coverage that we have down here of, uh, up close of some of these teams uh, – uh, uh, in terms of personnel, but um, but but that's a, a, an intelligent decision by that league, and and that's a lot of fun. And of course, that's that's uh, uh, probably the premier rivalry in Canada. So uh, uh, that's 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 certainly going to be a good one to follow. And then the other uh, final is going to be uh, the Maritime Women's Football Championship, the Super Super Girl Super Bowl. Um, it's going to be Fredericton Gladiators taking on the Halifax Explosion. And those are the two teams there that they're going to battle off for the championship. Um, FX Mexico last weekend finished up their, their uh, spring season. We'll look forward to the national tournament that's going to come up, coming up in uh, Merida and Yucatan. And a, a lot of the regions in Mexico are getting ready for the full kit uh, teams to uh, venture into that tournament. It's going to be a national scouting tournament, basically. Uh, it's a yearly event now that the Federation has created and going forward to, for, to, towards the next IFAB World Championship, uh, they're going to try to kind of incorporate all the regional organizations uh, to kind of unite into one tournament for scouting purposes, which is votes well, considering Mexico finished with the bronze medal in the IFAB World Championships in Vancouver. So that's really good uh, for the uh, South, for the sport in Mexico, 
And that was pretty exciting for them to finish third and kind of shock the, uh, the world there in that sense. Um, the other thing is in France, we mentioned it at the top of the hour, the uh, four-time champion Molasses Bulldogs. They defeated the Lions Bordeaux a week ago, 44 to zero. You can go to our Instagram and check out the Molasses uh, squad there. And uh, they're on our Instagram galleries there. Um, so, uh, Neil, your thoughts, the Master Ladies uh, FX Mexico moves to 11 on 11. It's a really good tournament. Um, now they're going forward with one division on 11-11, so that's going to be very exciting as as they uh, you know get to to the next stage, which is to the next IFAB World Championship. Yeah, I mean clearly Mexico was the story of the 2017 IFAF uh, Women's World Championships. You saw uh, Team Mexico get an initial draw against the United States, and I was I was kind of like, man, how how. This was sort of the first tournament, the first iteration of the IFAF Women's World Championships where they did the seedings. And it was a one-seeded United States against six-seeded Mexico because nobody knew what Mexico was capable of. I mean, you know, because they hadn't – this was their international debut, and they didn't have the names like uh, Welter and, 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 and Konecki and some of the others backing them the way Australia did. And so, you know, you're like, boy, this could, this could be potentially – I mean, this could be a 100-7 to seven without the 7 type of situation sure. uh, and team Mexico did an unbelievable job they were absolutely the story of that tournament and uh, it was really great to see and it's it's what's great to see for me of course is that Mexico seems to be evolving from the Neanderthal lingerie style which look that's that's my thing and I know we have, we did com- disagree somewhat on that but I'll say you know I, it's good to see full kit being more embraced in some of these Latin American countries and and uh, it's just it's you know, I wish I had your, your knowledge of Spanish to be able to navigate some of these because uh, I've spent so many times even in Europe uh, on Austrian websites and German websites and Finnish websites uh, looking for updates. And, you know, it's, it's become such a global game. And I think that's what's so exciting about women's football. I've, uh, a couple of years back I, I wrote a, a women's football encyclopedia, and I've always thought if I was going to do another edition of that, you know, how much how much larger the international section would have to be because you know even in the last four or five years we've seen an explosion of leagues across Europe across South America it's 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 been so much fun to see and uh, you know there's so many teams out there competing now in in all these different leagues it's honestly it's starting to become a situation where it's hard for one person to keep up. With, with everything, you know, going on everywhere. But that's such a good thing. That's such a good thing that it's become so big that uh, it's almost hard to, to cover, you know. And, and I, you know that as an outlet, as someone who covers women's football internationally. I'm sure it's, it's one of those things where it's almost, it's almost, it almost sends your head spinning how many leagues are out there now and how many teams are out there. Hundreds and hundreds of teams, dozens of leagues across dozens of countries. It's it's one of the most positive evolutions in women's football in, in recent years. I really think it's going to pay dividends down the road for the sport, not only in the United States and else, but elsewhere, uh, as it just continues to grow and continues to, to, to generate outposts in so many different countries. So uh, it's a great thing to see, and uh, I, I'm, I'm just so excited and so thrilled that, that women's football is spreading like wildfire in the way that, that it has in the past five, you know, three, five seven years it's it, it's been an amazing amazing thing to watch oh well, welcome to our network that's all i gotta say just go to our facebook page <laughs> you'll be on the know um so 
Overseas, let's talk about Maple Series, week one and two in the Maple Series. Um, we had the Saints, uh, Tampa Bay Saints, the Valkyries of the St. Petersburg Valkyries, 20-14. to 14, They took care of the Saints. And then you had the Roosters fall to the uh, champions, uh, Helsinki Wolverines. Week two, Helsinki continues their ride, 2-0, 28-20 to 20 over the Valkyries. And then the Tampere uh, Saints, 7-22 um, Roosters kind of rebound in week two. Is week three coming up here, Wolverines, Saints, kind of be a no-brainer there. I think the Saints have literally need to muster some points here, and they have not. Um, and then it's Roosters uh, against St. Petersburg, always a big, tough battle. Looking forward to June uh, June 30th as well because, you know, the, the playoffs in the States, but also in uh, Sweden, the Stockholm uh, uh, Mean Machines will take on the Carlsbad uh, Crusaders. And then the Orable, the champion Orobro uh, Black Knights, July 1st, will be taking on the Orlando Jets. So pretty exciting times there. So, Neil, um, thank you for coming on. I really appreciate you uh, making the time. I uh, look forward to uh, the WFA uh, playoffs on June 30th. Um, and it's kind of like pretty exciting, all three tiers. So looking forward to that. Yeah, absolutely. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. All right, Neil. Thank you. Have a great week. And uh, we'll be in touch. And uh, we'll touch base again uh, probably before the 30th here um, if, if you can. And then we'll kind of preview all, th- all those games once again in terms of what's going to turn out after the 30th because that's pretty exciting on the road to Atlanta. Yep, it should be a lot of fun. Appreciate it. Have a great night. Thanks. You too. All right, you guys, that was Neil uh, Rosenthal, obviously of the DC Divas and WFA Insider and uh, also International uh, Insider. Uh, and you can get his encyclopedia also if you follow neilrosenthal.com. So it's a good read. I have my copy as well. It's a very good reference guide as well. So there you go. Uh, let's talk week seven. Legends Football League here before we get out of here uh, in the uh, the sport that happened this past weekend in uh, via YouTube. And you had the Los Angeles Temptation taking on the Austin Acoustic. Uh, Tisha Winfrey, Marshall Mar- uh, Michelle Marshall out there taking on Ogum Chishindu and then uh, Kenny, um, the quarterback. And so uh, you had L.A. Uh, trying to avoid an 0-3 start, taking on Austin, who was coming in with a 1-1 record. And so uh, Austin didn't play their best offensive ball. And that was kind of expected in a way, in some ways, but also very surprising. And so they eventually get it together in the fourth quarter, 16 to 14. You can catch the game on our Facebook page via the LFL uh, YouTube channel. And so Los Angeles now is on the edge. They are trying to avoid an 0-4 season. They have never been 0-4 in their franchise history. They've been a prominent championship team in LFL history. And so they're going to be going up against the Denver Dream, and I believe it's uh, in a couple weeks here. And we will see if the Dream is going to uh, put the L.A. uh, Temptation season completely out. If L.A. ends up winning against the Dream, it'll be the 1-3 and start, which is uh, a lot better to finish 1-3 and than to finish 0-4. and So we'll see that. Austin on a high here. Offensively, they got to put things together better, a lot of drop balls. Uh, they didn't use their weapons as much as they should have. Um, and then obviously some questionable offensive, uh, you know, woes there as well. Shea Winfrey did not play as well as she's played last year. It's two games in a row. They got to get it together here as they go towards the playoff mode. Um, so we'll see how Austin, I believe, takes on Seattle next. 
and that's going to be tough because Michelle Angel is uh, playing at a high level. And this week, uh, week eight, um, it was 44 to 42, the Atlanta steam uh, edging the Seattle miss. And uh, it was a comeback type of mentality for the miss and Michelle Angel and the, and the miss fall short. It was a debut of Chris Dale Harris, formerly of the Chicago bliss. And now she is part of the Atlanta steam, a huge difference maker going forward here in the Eastern conference, especially with Nashville Knights and Chicago bliss at the top of the Eastern conference. So we will see how that pans out for the season, but uh, uh, it was nice to see Chris Dale Harris back. You'll get to see the YouTube uh, on YouTube. You'll get to see week eight this coming Saturday. The preview is week nine. It is the Nashville Knights taking on the Denver Dream. We will see how well Denver has uh, basically scouted the Nashville Knights. Nashville with Stevie Schnorr, uh, KK Matheny, and Jade Randall coming back. It's going to be a huge obstacle. So for Denver, they got to stay competitive and they got to play a decent game, even though I know they're going to be blown out for about two or three scores, given uh, Nashville's firepower but they got to really muster up, play really good defense, and try to get together a good offensive output with some touchdowns in order for them to kind of gauge their level because Nashville is at another level. And so uh, right now the Denver Green really needs to figure out what their game plan is going to be going to against the juggernaut that it is the Nashville Knights with all their all-stars. So it's a really big, tough battle in Legends Football League. So you can catch the game on our uh, Facebook page, LFL Week 7. It is the L.A. Temptation falling to the Austin Acoustic, 16-14. L.A. season, literally miserable, uh, miserable at this point. Austin, 2-1 and one now, could uh, potentially, if they beat Seattle, be 3-1, and one, and that will spell a lot for uh, this Austin team going to the playoffs. And so we'll look how that works out. Next, this coming Saturday, you will get to see the, Atlanta, the debut of Crystal Harris of the Atlanta team taking on uh, the Seattle Miss and Michelle Angel and company. Atlanta is now one and one. Seattle falls to two and uh, a zero and two. Very tough losses for both Seattle uh, on there and the champs um, literally trying to avoid an 0 and three start, just like Los Angeles. So who would have thought that Seattle and Los Angeles would be in the donut hole in this season in legends football league. So, um, so guys, that's going to do it for us for the, uh, um, for Holly Custis who came in to kind of chime in with the WFA for the always informative Neil Rosenthal for giving us his insights on everything women's football in the U.S. as well as some international feedback. And um, for the absent Holly, um, the absent Troy Wilson, uh, Tracy Brick, and obviously Louise Bean, Oscar Lopez saying here, uh, catch us next week, episode 228. We're going to have another exciting show. And don't forget to subscribe to us on TuneIn. Get the TuneIn app. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts and uh, right here on Block Talk Radio as well. And check out our Snapchat at snapchat.com forward slash Gridiron Beauty for athlete takeovers and no-joke football brand specials. And then you can also follow us every day, the hub of Women's American Football. That is facebook.com forward slash Gridiron Beauty for weekly updates, breaking news, and inspiring stories. As well as you can subscribe to our YouTube channel for amazing shared videos of girls playing American football globally. And so uh, what an awesome, awesome weekend of women's football internationally as well. Coming up this weekend, championships overseas, as well as getting ready for some uh, big news coming up down the pipe here on June 30th as WFA action continues with the playoffs. 
in every tier, and that's going to be pretty exciting. You can stay up to date daily at Twitter at forward slash Great Iron Beauty for daily updates, health tips, and NFL news. So really appreciate that. Um, if you want to go to our shop, today only, 20% site-wide at Zazzle.com. Look forward to that. Get your tees, leggings. It helps us out with our funding as well, and it helps us spotlight another talented athlete out there. Don't forget to check out our Facebook page, No Joke Football Brand page at facebook.com forward slash No Joke Football Brand. So uh, once again, thanks to Neil Rosenthal for coming in here uh, for uh, the president of the Liga de Football uh, del Pacifico, uh, Luis Gomez, for making chime in here and give us insights on his league and, his, and their successes. And we'll look forward to another edition here of the Gridiron Blitz, the best podcast covering women's American football and NFL News Weekly. And you're listening to it. And thank you very much. Subscribe on TuneIn and on Apple Podcasts. Have a great night, everybody.